you have your Bibles, turn with me back to Ephesians chapter 2. And um, I'm still not going to tell you that we're going all the way through the book because I don't know. But I keep, I keep being led back to this passage of Scripture. And I actually had a conference with some other pastors last week. Um, longest conference I've been to in quite a while. And um, we met together for six hours. Just talked about um, what we can do to reach our community together to impact um, the world for Christ together. And um, all throughout our conversations, we, we were on like a nationally broadcast um, Zoom-type meeting and from folks all over the United States and Central America and South America and Canada. And, and, um, but they would ask different questions and then we'd kind of break apart in groups and talk about them. <coughs> And, all, and, and every, most all the discussions that we had, my thoughts would come back to um, the text that's before us this morning because I'd already read it and I still hadn't decided whether this is the direction the Lord wanted me to go, but I, I read it last week preparing for the message because I always read before and after and make sure I'm preaching scripture in context. And um, the more I thought about it, the more I thought how needful the message is um, for us today. Um, we've spent several weeks um, just talking about who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ. Sometimes we don't know who we are. Um, and we have an identity crisis of sorts. And we ask our question, ourselves that question, who am I? And more importantly, who does God say that I am? And there have been several songs written lately along those lines that have become hits. Um, you, you are who you say, or I am who you say I am. And... Um, I think that song resonates with us because we are in such an identity crisis and we don't know who we are in Christ and we don't know how blessed we are. And Ephesians chapter 1 outlines that so beautifully, um, what, what God has done for us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he views us um, because of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we talked about how important it is to know Jesus more. Um, I don't know him enough, and you don't know him enough, but the more that we grow in the wisdom and revelation of God, the more we understand um, what he's done for us, the more we experience his power at work in our life, the more assurance that we have of our salvation, the more effective we are in the ministry that he's called us to. And then last week we, we, we talked more about how, uh, how that happened, where we were, um, who we were, and who we are because of Christ and how we got to that place. It was kind of a, a before Christ, after Christ, and how we bridged that gap between those two. And if you remember last week, we talked about before Christ, how everybody, all of us are dead in sins and rebellion against God. We're dedicated to disobedience. Um, even when we try harder, we still fail over and over and over again. And because we were dead in sins and dedicated to rebellion against God, we are destined for wrath. We were destined for wrath. That's what we deserved. But then that glorious passage of Scripture in 2 in, in Ephesians, um, Ephesians chapter Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, let me say it, uh, that said, But God, who is rich in mercy, wherewith his great love he hath loved us. And so there's your bridge between B.C. In A.D., the year of our Lord, Anno Dineni, and that's, that's when we gave our life to Christ, this is what happened to us. We went from being dead in sin, dedicated to rebellion, and destined for wrath, deserving of his wrath, 
to being resurrected to life. He caused us to be born again by His Spirit. We were raised in power and we are now and forevermore reigning with Christ. His authority has been given to us and we're heirs and joint heirs with Him. So we've, we've talked a good bit about our individual identities, where we were, um, where we are now, how Christ did that for us by His amazing grace. And, and this morning's text in Ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse 11 through the end of the chapter is going to help us see not, not necessarily our individual identity as much as it helps us see our corporate identity um, as the family of God. Uh, if, you'll be, if you'll read with me, I'm going to read it all and then just come back. And I'm, I'm probably not going to read it all again to you as we go, but I'll point you to the references where I'm getting my, my points from. In verse 11, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision and the flesh made by hands. He's, making a, he's drawing a, a distinction there between the Jews and the Gentiles. Verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who, were, ye, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh or brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity, thereby and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the father now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So in a sense, this passage is connected to the previous uh, 10 verses in that those first 10 verses of chapter 2 talk about our individual identity as Christians from B.C. to A.D. and how that happened. And this is a little bit broader application of that. Um, this is, in, in the corporate world, in the corporate identity, what our B.C. life looked like, uh, what our A.D. life looked like, and, and, how, and what God did to bridge that gap between um, those two corporate identities. Now, <clears throat> let me give you a little bit of a context for this whole passage of Scripture. When Paul wrote this letter, Christianity is less than 50 years old. It's, it, it is essentially a brand new religion in the world. Um, birthed at the, at the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, birthed in an upper room when the Holy Spirit came and filled those men and called them to go out and preach the gospel. It's less than 50 years old. And it primarily, from the very beginning, was a, was a Jewish faith. It was a Jewish Christianity. 
In other words, the, the, the first converts to Christ were Jews who believed the message about Christ. And by the way, those believing Jews were hated by Orthodox Jews. When you became a Jewish Christian, the, the Orthodox Jews would separate you from their synagogues. They'd throw you out of the synagogues. They'd stop doing business with you. You'd, be, you, you'd have people that were of your own household who wouldn't speak to you anymore because you'd converted to Christ. So there was a hostility even between Jewish people and Jewish believers. Um, it, it, the, the, the early church, it cost them a lot. They literally abandoned the religion of their ancestors uh, to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were hated for that. And that, that division was even more hostile when it came to the Gentiles coming into the family of God. Because then you not only had the, the, the Orthodox Jews that hated the Christians um, and hated Jewish Christians, but you had the Jewish Christians who had a hard time accepting the fact that God was offering the gospel to the Gentiles as well. So you've got a lot of hostility brewing around this religion of Christianity. And, and especially and specifically in this text, it was, it was that the Gentiles were coming into this new religion and God was accepting them. Ephesus was a major city in that time and, and it had probably the biggest mixture in it of Jews and Gentiles in the then known world. And many of those Jews had been converted to Christ and now many of the Gentiles are being converted to Christ and there's a, there is a difficult thing going on in them merging themselves together and, 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 and grasping their identity together um, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in fact, you've got to go all the way to Acts chapter 10 um, before you see Peter reluctantly sharing the gospel with a Gentile. In fact, he had that vision where he saw all these unclean things, which is how Jewish people looked at Gentile people. By the way, you Gentile, we're gen as far as I know, we don't have any um, people in here who are by heritage Jewish. Anybody that's not Jewish is Gentile. So we're all Gentiles. Acts chapter 10, God gave Peter a vision. This is one of the mysteries that had been hidden for a long time. That God didn't want to just save the Jewish nation, but that God wanted to save the world through the Jewish nation. The promise to Abraham was, I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. And in you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And the Jews had a hard time with that. They lived their, they lived their lives separated from all of the world and not inclusively receiving anybody. In fact, if you wanted to become a Jew, you had to go through all of the rituals of Judaism, um, including the circumcision, including the dietary laws, including every, every one of their ordinances. You literally had, had to submit yourself to the whole law of the Jewish nation, civil laws, ceremonial laws, all of them. So Acts chapter 10, God said, Gave, gave Peter a vision of unclean animals because that's what the Jews, that's how they looked at Gentiles. They, they didn't eat pigs. They didn't eat shellfish. They didn't eat any of that stuff. And God told Peter in that vision, rise up and eat. And Peter said, I ain't never eat anything unclean. And God said, don't, don't call unclean what I have called clean. And then he sent Peter on this mission to witness to a man that was seeking God named Cornelius. 
Cornelius was a devout man. He wanted to know the way to God, but didn't know the way. And Peter went to him and shared with him Jesus. Uh, Cornelius believed and was baptized, received the gift of the Holy Ghost, and many of the Gentiles around Cornelius believed. And when Peter took that news uh, to the other apostles and the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 11, they didn't initially receive it very well. What, what is this you're saying? That God has opened up the door for the Gentiles to be saved? And y'all know the contention began, well, yeah, they can, but, but, but they still got to be circumcised. And yeah, they can, but they can't eat pork chops. And yeah, they can, but they can't do this, and they've got to do this. They were trying to make them not just believers, but they were trying to make them Jewish, Jewish and a believer. And so it was a great deal of conflict, a great deal of, of, of hostility. That's in Acts chapter 10. Now, if you look at the Apostle Paul's ministry, which was primarily a ministry to the Gentiles, it was 12 to 14 years after Acts chapter 10 and 11. So Christianity is less than 50 years old, and the, and, and the Apostle Paul, um, another 12, 14 years down the road, began his mission efforts to reach the Gentiles. But guess where he began those mission efforts? In Jewish synagogues. And when those Jewish synagogues kicked him out and wouldn't receive him, he went to the Gentiles of that community and preached the gospel to them. And they received it. And so that was the first intentional effort to reach the Jews. And it was, it was a very difficult merging of two very distinct cultures. And one easy for them. It was a battle for them. In fact, I, I mean, I, I could get bogged down right here, but when they, when they brought that news back, you know, and, and, they, and the apostles had this discussion about, Okay, Gentiles are being saved and the Holy Ghost is being given to them, so we can't deny that they're being saved, that they're coming to Christ. So, so what, what should we tell them? Well, they, they basically say, well, they don't have to be circumcised, but they don't need to eat anything that has blood in it, another Jewish law, and they shouldn't eat anything that's been offered to idols. Now, if you know the Apostle Paul's writing later on, he, later on he said, I don't even agree with the other apostles in this, and I don't think it's really a sin to eat something that's been offered to an idol. If you don't know it's been offered to an idol, eat it. If it violates your conscience, don't eat it. But if it don't violate your conscience, eat it. So there was a, it, there was a, a huge, it was hard. It was hard for Jewish apostles. It was hard for Jewish believers to accept the fact that God had opened the door for a completely different culture and mindset to be part of the faith and part of the family of God. You got to understand that they had they had been distinct and separated from them for literally two thousand years, and now God is saying, "I'm merging the two together." Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians all together as one. And so I, I, I'm just going to point you to the text where I'm getting this from uh, in Ephesians chapter two, verse eleven and twelve. Paul reminded the Gentiles of their past, of their B.C. life. Before you became a Christian, you were alienated and separated. Before you became a Christian, you were alienated and separated. And he talked about what that alienation and separation looked like. Uh, he used the word without. You were, you were one time 
without Christ, you had, you had uh, no fellowship whatsoever with Israel or the covenants of Israel. You were separated from citizenship with Israel. You, were, you did not have any hope, and you did not have God in your life. So their whole, their whole pre-Christ existence was you were without. You did not have anything that Israel had. Not one thing that Israel had did you have. So there was, there was an open hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. They despised each other. They had, they had nothing in common. Even the Samaritans, who were, who were half-Jews, were hated by full Jews. Samaritans hated the Jews. Jews hated Samaritans. Jews hated the Gentiles. Samaritans hated the Gentiles. It was a hostile environment. Now God says... I'm about to put an end to all that and bring you together in Christ. Now, this is a long, entrenched, bred into them, instilled into them from one generation to another generation to another generation for over 2,000 years that there is a difference between the Jew and the Gentile. And now God says, between the Jewish Christian and the Gentile Christian, there is no difference. And that's where you get in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. You kind of have to jump from the beginning of his dialogue to the end of his dialogue to see this. But he basically said, because of what Jesus had, had done, your AD position is one of reconciliation and unity. And, and he begins that with, that, with, that with those words, now, therefore, now, therefore, because of what Christ has done for you, now, therefore, you are fellow citizens. You, 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 and the, you and the Jews, the Jewish believers, are fellow citizens in the kingdom of God. You're part of the household of God. You are being built up together, Jews and Gentile believers, you are being built up together as a temple unto God, and you, Jewish believers and Gentile believers, are a habitation of God by His Spirit on the earth. Now folks, that's a big deal. We don't understand how big a deal it is because we're not fighting the Jew-Gentile believer thing anymore. It was a huge obstacle for the early church to overcome, to be able to identify one another uh, as not two separate entities, but as one entity with no distinguishing differences in Christ. Because they had a brand new identity. Um, they, they're all just believers now. They're not, they're not, they could be Jewish, um, but what, what trumped their Jew card was, I'm a believer in Christ. They could have been Gentiles, foreigners, strangers, but what trumped that was their belief in Christ. So now those two entities that had been separated for thousands of years had come together under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ, and now they are all the family of God. Now they are all the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now they are all the body of Christ and the bride of Christ and the kingdom of God being manifested on earth. So now it's just, instead of that open hostility, Paul is saying, now you guys live at peace with each other. Unify yourselves around the Lord Jesus Christ. 
which is what you see when you get to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. That's the how. Remember, remember when he talked about how we got saved, what happened when we got saved, what changed when we got saved? Well, this is the corporate identity change and how it happened. And if you look at that in verse 13 through 16, it says very specifically, but now in Christ Jesus, you Gentiles who used to be far off were brought near, how? By the blood of Christ. There's the bridge between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. You all came the same way. You were brought near to God by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You were unified. You had the hostility between you abolished. And now you are reconciled to each other. And God has made you two one and the same in Christ. That's the bridge. The blood of Christ. In fact, I challenge you to look through every one of those verses. And over and over, you'll see the word flesh being used there. You'll see the word cross being used there. It, it was the death of the Lord Jesus Christ brought together two distinct and different cultures and made them one under the banner of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Jesus' cross is the equalizer. And you've heard a bunch of preachers say this before, and you've heard me say it before. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's no respect of persons there. There's no high horses to ride. It took the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to reconcile all of us to God. In fact, the Bible said that those Jewish sacrifices couldn't do it. They could point us to it, but they couldn't do it. And so at, when you come to the cross, you don't come with a pedigree. You don't come with a title. You don't come with your tax form. You don't come... With, with money in your hand. You don't come with merit in your hand. You don't come with anything in your hand. You come as one dead in sin, dedicated to rebellion, destined for wrath, and you trust that the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary was enough to cleanse. It's level there. It don't matter if you're a king or a beggar. It's level there. It don't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. It's level there. It don't matter if you're black or white. It's level at the foot of the cross. The cross is the equalizer. I think I can say this without any reservation. If God has a favorite, it is his only begotten son. And all those who come to Christ become beloved by the Father because of their faith in Christ. 
And Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 tell us how that master plan came to be. That the gospel was preached to those that were far off and they were brought near. And that through him, Jews and Gentiles have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now if you look at that, that's the whole trinity involved. Here's the master plan that God through his Son and by the Spirit did what he wanted to do in the world for his own glory. And that is bring all of the world together under the banner of the blood of Christ. And now, instead of Jews and Gentiles, we have the church. Which according to Revelation chapter 7 consist of every nation, tribe, kindred, and tongue that are every one part of the family of God because of their faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one church. You understand that? I mean, we use the term we use the term Zion Hill Church. But can I tell you, there, there is only one church. And it is the church universal. It is the church that is the body of Christ. It is the church that is the bride of Christ. It is the church that is the family of God. It is the church that is the kingdom of God on earth and in heaven. It is the church. There's just one. Not many. There's one, he says it in chapter 4, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God and Father of all who is above all and in you all. Just one. And he's brought us together under Christ. There's one church. But there are a whole pile of local, individual manifestations of that church. Just one body. But a lot of local, individual parts of that body. And all of us unify around one thing. And that is the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ when he died as a substitute for our sins on Calvary's cross. Now, is it true of the church today that we rally around the cross? Because it may not be a Jew and a Gentile problem today. But will you agree with me that there is a lot of open hostility within the church? Not this church, not this body of believers, but the church. And I'm going to make some bold statements, but I believe this is true. When we fail to unify around the cross of Christ, 
we're failing to exalt that precious blood that was shed to tear down those walls. You know what Jesus said in his last prayer? He prayed for the apostles first. And then he prayed for all those that believe on me through their word. That's me and you. That includes the Gentiles that would believe on Christ through their word. We still have their word before us. Everybody gets saved. Just reading the book of Romans, Ephesians, Galatians, 1 Corinthians, the Gospels. They believed on the word that the apostles proclaimed. That's us. What did Jesus pray? He said, I will that as you are in I and as I am in you, Father, that they may be one in us, that the world may know that thou hast sent me. The catalyst for salvation in the world today should be the unity of the body of Christ rallying around the blood that was shed on the cross. So if we fail to unify ourselves, then we are failing to exalt the blood that was shed to tear down the hostility that existed back then. When we treat each other with contempt, this, listen, this is a bold statement, but when we treat each other with contempt, we treat the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ with contempt. We trample it under our feet when we fight one another. And I'm going to tell you that's true of this local congregation. I shared with them a couple Wednesday nights ago when we ate our fellowship meal. Um, the Bible says that we ought not to speak evil of one another, brethren. He said your tongue in one minute can bless God and in the next minute curse your brother and that ought not to be so. We're part of the family. I don't mean I got to like everything that you do or believe everything that you do. But we're part of the family. By the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're part of the family. When we treat each other with contempt, inside this building or outside this building, when we do that to other churches, and I'm, I've been guilty. And I'm here to tell you this morning, I'm ashamed of it. Now, I'm not talking about, we, we ought to call out false prophets. A false, prophet ain't, a false prophet is just that. He ain't the real thing. Preaching a false message, a false gospel, creating false conversions, call a false prophet what it is. But everybody, listen, there ain't a church in this community um, that I would label a false church or a false prophet in the pulpit. We, see, we don't see eye to eye on everything, but we see eye to eye on the fact that the cross, the blood that was shed, is the only thing that will stand as a mediation between us and the wrath of a holy God. We are unified around the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe the same thing. In fact, you can read our, 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 our theological belief statements, and the first four or five will look identical to one another. You don't start seeing a, a, a drift in what we believe until you start talking about baptism and the ordinances of the church and things of that nature. Non-essentials that we can give each other liberty on. I don't think in the Bible, in, in those New Testament books we read, I don't, I don't think that they ever came to a real clear consensus on whether you could eat meat that was offered to idols or not. In Romans chapter 14, Paul said, leave each other alone. If, if he wants to eat meat that's been offered to an idol, let him eat it. If you don't, don't eat it. We all going to stand and give an account to God. Don't judge 
Don't judge another. Don't judge a master servant. He, he, he don't serve you. He serves the master. He's going to give an account to God for himself. So I'm going to bring it all home. Maybe make some sense to you. We ain't really fighting the Jew-Gentile thing anymore. But I can tell you what we are fighting. Racism. Lives in the church. And it ought not to. And, I, and this is a true statement. The church on Sunday morning is the most segregated place in our society still. Now, I don't think that we're choosing that here. Demographically, I think our congregation represents what's around us. But can I tell you, as far as I'm concerned, as the pastor of this church goes, red and, red and yellow, black and white, if they're precious in his sight, they're precious in mine. Racism ought not to exist in the church. I believe it grieves the heart of God, and I believe it tramples under feet the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Billy Graham preached this same message, so don't throw rocks at me. Billy Graham said, there ain't a white church, and there ain't a black church, and there ain't a Hispanic church, and there ain't a Japanese church or a Korean church. There's Christ church, and all of them are covered by the red blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not any room for racism in the church. Not even room for it in our heart. And I'm going to tell you, I've battled it myself. I've battled the prejudice myself. I still battle it sometimes. Why? Because it's entrenched. It's bred. It's passed from one generation to another. It's been handed down, handed down, handed down. Can I tell you, it's time just to hand it off. I don't want it anymore. I don't want it. I don't carry it anymore. I met with a group of pastors last week for six hours. That were about as diverse as they come. And I found out when we sit down and have table conversations with one another. That we have so much more in common. Than we have apart. And the things that we don't agree on are trivial. And we can, it's okay for us to disagree on those things. But we stood together and worshipped. And I felt like it was a little bit of heaven on earth. Because that's what the choir is going to look like. From every nation and tongue and tribe and kindred. All standing together with their robes washed white in the blood of the Lamb. There's no room for racism in the church. By the way, it goes both ways. I guarantee you, I got some, some black preacher friends that will preach this same message in the church that they're in. Because they agree. There ain't room for us to have it. There ain't room for them to have it. There ain't room for nobody that's flying the red blood banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. There ain't no room for it in his kingdom. God don't have a favorite nation. I know we don't like to hear that. And I'm, I'm as patriotic as they come. I love our heritage. I love our freedoms. I love, I love what this nation was founded upon. But I'm, gonna here to I'm here to tell you, if the United States of America crumbles and falls completely apart tomorrow, the kingdom of Christ is still going to be standing strong. 
And he loves those folks that are worshiping underground in China this morning just as much as he loves us when we stand and proclaim without fear. He loves them in North Korea, South Korea. He loves them in the jungles of Brazil. He loves them uh, in, on the African continent that James and his family serve. He loves them like he loves us. If he didn't love them, he wouldn't be sending a word to them through us. There ain't any room for this open hostility between members of the body of Christ based on race or nationality or style. Even doctrinal distinctives when it comes down to the non-essentials. There's no room for it. Look, can I tell you, all of that is of the devil. It's just of the devil. He's the divider. He's the separator within the body. In the Lord Jesus Christ, God doesn't have a favorite color. He doesn't have a favorite nationality. He doesn't have a favorite denomination. He doesn't have a favorite interpretation. He doesn't have a favorite generation. He has a favorite son. And all of them that call him Lord are his favorite people. Whatever language they speak. Whatever style they worship in. And whatever shingle they hang on their door. We're loved and accepted equally in Christ. And you know what that means? It means that we ought to love and accept each other equally in Christ. You know why you're here this morning and part of the family of God? Because His grace made it so. You didn't deserve that, and I didn't deserve that. But it's only by His grace that we can be part of God's blessed family. So I'm done. Let me just ask you this. Are you, are you part of God's family? You can be by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to be Baptist or Methodist. You don't have to be black or white. You don't have to agree with every interpretation of the Bible that I hold. You just got to agree on who Jesus is and what he did on the cross for your sin. Are you part of it? Do you love it? I love it. My tail was sore Thursday from sitting for six hours. I couldn't even hardly deer hunt because my tail was sore from sitting so long. But my heart was full. Because I'd been part of something bigger than me. Bigger than Zion Hill. Bigger even than this community. How refreshing it was to see a black man playing, singing Christian rap music in New York City with the Holy Spirit of God anointing him. Now, I don't like rap, but I love him. I love what God's doing in his family throughout the earth. And listen, I believe this with all of my heart. If we could ever come together, nothing could 
stop us. I'll challenge you. Go read the passage of Scripture in Genesis where they were building the Tower of Babel. This is what God said about people who had a wicked heart. He said, those people are united in what they're trying to do. And if we don't tear this down, if we don't put a stop to this, there'll be no end to it. Now, if wicked people can do that when they come together, what can the kingdom of Christ do when we come together as one? For God's glory. Now, I'm done as our musicians come. I don't give this invitation very often because I'm, I'm not a big, I don't push church membership on anybody. And I believe that I am a member of the global body of Christ. And I've never had to stand anywhere and said, well, you accept me into the global body because when I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, I became part of his family, whether you like it or not. I'm his, he's mine, I'm bought and paid for. When I accepted Christ, he accepted me. But now we can all say that we're part of the large family of God, the beautiful body of Christ. But I believe God wants us to connect ourselves together in as many ways as we can, in as many places as we can. If God is leading you to be part of this individual body of believers, if you know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, was buried, rose again the third day, if you have been baptized in his name, or if you want to be baptized in his name, we'd love to embrace you as part of this family. You receive, you receive the encouragement of the family, the exhortation of the family. You receive the accountability of the family connection. You find a place to serve. We can do more together than we can separately and individually. So if you want to be part of this church family this morning, I'd welcome you to. Because we're part of God's family. Part of it. We're not all of it, but we're part of it. Let's stand together. Lord, I love you and I thank you for your love for me. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that moved beyond our faults, looked beyond our colors, looked beyond our ethnicity, our national citizenship status, you look beyond our language, you look beyond everything and just saw the one overarching need that we were dead. Rebels.
help the best. 